Coming up, a huge NFL trade, lots of takes, and the return of the first ever employee of the ringer. It is all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did Batman, the 1989 movie, which basically changed everything. We laid out why. We tried to figure out if it held up. Me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, so you can find that one uh, coming up on this podcast, we're going to talk about the Russell Wilson trade with Kevin Clark. We're going to be doing a bunch of different takes about sports and pop culture with Van Latham. We're playing a new game with him. And then the return of Tate Frazier, first producer of this podcast, had to bring him back because of the Coach K farewell tour. We'll explain <laughs> why I get so much enjoyment out of uh, Tate's feelings about Coach K when he comes on. So this is a good podcast. You know, I forgot to mention in the uh, segment we did with Kevin about Russell Wilson. Remember a year and a half ago, he was looking like an MVP candidate. Things were going great. He came on this podcast. We had a really good podcast. It was fun. He was good. Right afterwards, the team went into a tailspin. Then he gets hurt the following year, hurts his finger. And he wasn't very good last year either. And now he's traded. And you think like, I felt like we did that podcast like, I don't know, six six months ago, three months ago. It was way longer than that, obviously. But um, it was from the moment we did that podcast, everything kind of changed for Russell Wilson. So I don't know, is, is there, I really hope there's not a BS pod curse. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I don't want that on me. I hope this is an isolated incident, but I hope Russell Wilson, I hope uh, things turn around for him in Denver. I have my buddy Gus, who's been on this podcast before. We've been friends since I was in the eighth grade. And we would always call each other whenever anything major happened. Um, try to break the news to each other about how's the so-and-so era for you after there's a big trade or somebody retired or if, you know, somebody got traded off your team, you'd say, how was the, you know, D Brown era for you, whatever. Then in the texting era, we would just text that. So we would, we, sometimes we kind of force those, but then this time, being able to text Gus, lifelong Broncos fan, how's the Russell Wilson era for you? This is one of the biggest texts I think I've sent Gus since we had texting. 
So he's fired up. The Broncos fans are fired up. We'll see if Kevin's fired up. He's coming up next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Kevin Clark from The Ringer is here. We are going to talk some football. I thought we were going to talk about the Rodgers thing and, and some offseason <laughs> storylines we had to watch. And then the Russell Wilson bomb dropped. Russell Wilson traded to Denver. I hopped on Green Room just to help console Danny Kelly. He was traumatized. He was sucking his thumb in the corner. The Ringer's Danny Kelly, big Seahawks fan. There sure. rumors about... I had heard this for the last week that... that Russell was on the table. Teams are calling mm-hmm. him. The Seahawks were denying it. Um, do you think this was related to the Rogers contract announcement? And then two hours later, we get a Wilson trade. Yes, of course it was. And you know that because the report was, this was not related. This was, <laughs> right. please, it was not related. Like, why would you say that? It reminds me a little bit. Do you remember when Carmelo Anthony got traded and it was between the Knicks and the Nets? And as soon as that trade went through, Darren Williams got traded for the same package. Yeah, it's almost the same thing. The Nets were like, all right, well, we're going to give this package to Denver. We'll just give it to Utah. Right. Um, So it's a little bit like that. Yeah. I mean, that Russell Wilson was their plan B. Aaron Rodgers was their plan A. I don't I don't see how you can't draw that connection. It's the same. It's the same genre of quarterback. It's the same commitment. My guess is, is that this is what Denver would have given up for Green Bay uh, to Green Bay if 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 Rodgers had chosen to play for Denver. Um, So, yeah, that's related. My guess is there's probably a little more in the trade if it's Rodgers, but he's also more expensive for Denver. So, you know, in a lot of ways, probably this is a better option for them. My big thing is, I just didn't think Wilson was good last year. Yeah. I didn't think he was bad, but I didn't think he was good. I think he co- he coasted on the reputation piece more than what the actual eye test was showing me. He doesn't run around like he used to. Um, I don't. I just didn't feel like he was as dangerous. And I felt like the guy from the first four or five years of his career versus the guy I watched last year, I thought there was some drop-off. I really did. And I don't know whether that was, he was starting to feel stale there. Like he, he had one uh, yeah. one foot out or, or whether he's just entering a different phase of his career. So what do you think? Sure. A couple things. Number one, he had the finger injury and that's a big deal. Like there's a couple there aren't that many more subtle injuries that would affect a quarterback than than a finger. It's not like a, a a knee where you'd see it and he'd be hobbling around. Like the finger was impacting him the entire second half of the season. But how he does that explain came, the no running though? He came probably came back too early. No, that 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 part is serious. And I was just talking to Danny Kelly offline about this, and he was just basically saying he's never going to be the same player again unless he starts running again. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So that is a huge part of it. I would also say new offense. He was running the kind of McVay offense and ended up being the Russell Wilson offense again. At this point, I think we can start saying that anywhere he goes, it's going to be the Russell Wilson offense. And I think people thought there were going to be some structural changes, that he was going to get layups. That was the big buzzword this time last year. I didn't really see any. Um, I think, Bill, that that I, I, I do have a lot of questions about this. I understand why both teams did this, yeah. but I actually think that this is one of those trades where in five years, both teams will probably regret doing it. I don't think any team is going to have won this trade in any appreciable way. Denver was in this situation after Peyton Manning is retired. They've been in it every day since. That The only way they're going to get out of their rut is with a star quarterback. 
and they can keep playing the the sort of scratch off lottery in, in in the in the draft every year and and try to go for a, a Malik Willis or a Kenny Pickett this year, or they can go with what they think is the sure thing. I understand why they're doing it, but it's interesting because. When we didn't, we did two emergency pods today, starting with the Aaron Rodgers thing. And the point I made on the Rodgers thing was that it's never happened that a team has traded a quarterback, a star quarterback they wanted to keep. It's never happened. And even if you look at the Jay Cutler thing a couple of years ago, that was because Josh Daniel tried to get Matt Castle at the beginning of the offseason and it kind of devolved from there, right? Mm. And I'm wondering if that's still true. Did the Seahawks want to keep Russell Wilson or not? I, that, that, it, it's just. I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the discussions of what they think he is going forward. I'd rather have Russell Wilson than what the Seahawks are about to do, which is being in the wilderness for a long time. But I, I don't think he's a super duper star at the level he has been. Well, I asked Danny, when do you think the first hit piece is coming out from the Seattle side? And what's going to be in it? Because that's usually <laughs> that's usually a piece of this, right? Where the guy yes. leaves for a couple days and then all of a sudden... First of all, it's the reporter dump where the reporter has all the anecdotes yeah. they never wanted to use while the guy was on the team. They Bri- dump that. Bri- Brian Curtis calls it the now they tell us piece. Yeah, the now they tell us piece. So we have that. And then we also, we have the history with Wilson where, I mean, there was a, it got really dicey with him in the defense for a couple of years. There were some mm-hmm. crazy pieces of journalism written about um, yes. the defense blaming him um, for losing the Super Bowl that they felt like, they didn't want to call the winning touchdown for Lynch because they wanted it to be Wilson's team and they mm-hmm. wanted him to get the winning moment. And remember that I I haven't read this in a while, but it was like they didn't they go to like Hawaii and they were they went on, to Hawaii. They were on the beach and they did like mm-hmm. a whole big therapy powwow basically. And so it, you know, I, I wonder like, is there some diva stuff with him, maybe? I don't know if it's diva stuff. I mean, I think that the Malcolm Butler interception you could make a case kind of ruined the trajectory of that franchise. There was some, I think Seth Wickersham had the best piece on this a couple of, of months and years after that. There was trash talking at practice that probably went way over the line that got personal. Like the, the team chemistry was ruined after a while. And, and you can, when everybody was rowing in the same direction in Seattle, there was nothing like it. I mean, there were, there was so much talent. The locker room was in a healthy place, I would say. And like a very, they were all very, there was no passive aggressiveness whatsoever. Um, in 2013, like these guys were getting in fights all the time, whatever. It was a very strange but productive locker room. I feel like the Malcolm Butler play sent them in a bit of a tailspin that they never recovered from. And I think that if you were to point to a couple of things, I mean, that that play obviously is one of the most significant ones in your life. But for Belichick, it also pretty much eliminated a, an NFC contender um, for the next few years. And so, right. listen, they they had chances to get back to it. Obviously, they they um. They they kind of had a ceiling there for a while. The defense is not what it was. Pete Carroll came out a couple weeks ago and said he thought they'd been arrogant about the defense um, over the past couple of years. They need to rebuild. But right now, this is I don't think they got enough. This is not a sure thing haul. They already gave up two first round picks for Jamal Adams. And so it's not like I'm sitting here saying, oh, my God, this is like the, the Sashi Brown Browns where they're, they're just going to have this war chest. They're going to go out and build like this is no sure thing. They don't have any more draft capital than some of these other teams who have traded star players. So I, I don't I, I'm a little I'm a little confused as to who I'm supposed to say won this trade in three years, because I think we right. understand the Broncos have a ceiling in the AFC West. And we know that the, the Seahawks just might not get appreciably better. I thought Sertan was definitely in this trade when they announced it and we didn't know who yeah. the particulars were. And then it came out and he wasn't in the trade. And I asked Danny when I hopped on that green room, like at what point does a Seahawks fan and you're on your text thread with all the other Seahawks fans have the, 
wait a second, we didn't even get Sertan? Yeah. Moment of this trade where they get the two firsts, and I'm assuming they're going to just pick the quarterback ninth that mm-hmm. everyone's really gotten excited about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you could be like, look, we've turned Wilson into a quarterback of the future, plus all this other stuff. He's cheaper. He's on a rookie QB thing. We had to reset our salary cap anyway. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind what they got. I actually was surprised, even though Sertan wasn't in the trade, I was surprised Wilson was worth as much as as this, but it goes back to what you said earlier. Really? Well, yeah, because he wasn't good last year. And and you could blame the finger all you want, but he wasn't good in the second half of the year before either. And to me, it's like if he's not scrambling around like he did the first five years, I don't think he's in like my top seven or eight anymore. I asked the guys in green room, is he right now, would he be a top 10 fantasy quarterback for you? And we went through the 10 guys and he was probably 10th. And there's probably nine guys you would say are going to have better stats with them, even in this new offense in Denver, because Mm -hmm. I don't know, we have a pretty good sample size now that Wilson might be who he is. He had Lockett and Metcalf on his team last year. It was still pretty erratic. I I understand that, but I'm just, when you consider the, the fact that good star quarterbacks so rarely become available, I just think that the price, the price is artificially high. That's why I, that's why I thought I wouldn't have been surprised if there was a third first in this this deal or if there had been an actual star going Seattle's way. One of the receivers well, or something like that. Well, what you get out of it is first of all, you end this hamster wheel that you've had at QB really sure. since the noodle arm year of Manning. And there's just <laughs> nothing worse. Well, there are things worse because you're an Orlando Magic fan. So I'm sure you could come okay. up with worst case scenarios of just year after year lottery picks and they're disappointing. When you don't have a quarterback for two thirds of a decade, at some point you start to melt down, melt down mentally, especially as every conversation, including ones we have in our pods is like quarterbacks lead, quarterbacks lead, need a quarterback, need a quarterback. And you're like, we have Drew Locke. Um, we don't know. <laughs> we're never going to have a quarterback. So you get Wilson, and it's like Super Bowl champ. By the way, congrats, congrats to Seattle for locking up Drew Locke in this trade. Oh, they got him. You gotta yeah, have they, it. They, they, they got, got him. him. They got you him. Got, you got to extend him. him now. You got to keep him. <laughs> but if you're... You don't, you don't want to get out leverage. Yeah, you, you got to make sure you get strict while they're inside. Yeah, but if you're Denver, you you can really talk yourself fast in this trade. I wonder from the Seattle side how you talk yourself into this trade. Because Wilson at least gave okay. you the illusion of competitiveness. Now you're looking at a two-year rebuild and your coach is, what, 75, 73? Yeah. Something like that. And so it's like you're throwing away this year, I guess. Then you're probably throwing away next year, too, as you extricate yourself from this cap stuff. So maybe that's how this needed to play out. He's 70. I would also also say, as much as the quarterback's league, it's also an owner's league. And Denver does not have an owner right now. Um, Mm. that, That situation is completely up in the air. In Seattle is in a situation where I don't really think anyone knows how Jody Allen wants to run the franchise. And I think that is also probably true in, in Portland as well. And so in both of these cases, I'm confused as to the direction of both of, uh, both of them and where this is headed because I don't know, like, is Denver in six months going to get well, bought I think for, Denver five, thinks, for $4 billion? But Denver's like, we're close with the Super Bowl this year. If we get a yeah. quarterback, we can actually win the Super Bowl. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I, I I don't. Do you think Denver is a Super Bowl contender? I think they went from the fourth best quarterback in the division to the third best quarterback in the division just now. And I, I don't think that that's going to make such a huge difference that we're talking about them playing on January 28th. 
Here are my Denver thoughts because I certainly lost a lot of money on them the last two years, <laughs> betting, them, betting them week to week. And so did Sal. And we would always complain about it. It seemed like they had a lot of bad luck and a lot of underachieving based on what the talent potential was. We went in back to back years. We were going into seasons with people telling us this is the aberration team. If you look at all the luck they had last year, turnover luck and injury luck and this and that and schedule and this is the team. And I bet them both of those years to for the over sleeper bets on the AFC West, stuff like that. And each year was, you know, last year was less injuries and more. The offense was just so broken. It was mm-hmm. easily the worst offense for what the talent was because they actually had pretty good receivers. So I could see themselves talking themselves into, hey, you look at this team in the years past and this other team and they had the quarterback and then they nailed their draft. One good free agent. We have receivers. Mm -hmm. We have really good D-backs. We have a pass rush. Like, we're not that far away. I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I think that they've been a very strangely run franchise. I think John Elway was really bad at running this team. Um, And that's what a reputation of the John Elway era. Now that he's out, he's an outside consultant. uh, They immediately get a, a short quarterback. After seven years <laughs> of just finding the tallest person it's available funny. and saying he's yeah. our quarterback, we're just going to go out and get the five ten guy. Um, I don't. I, I. I just. I think you're higher on the Broncos the, than I am. I, I just don't think that the line is subpar. I think they were twentieth, something like that, in the PFF rankings last year um, as a unit. I think they were fifteenth in, in pressures allowed. Um, I just don't. I don't know what the path is, and I part part of the problem is they just gave up a bunch of picks to the point that if they were maybe a couple more moves away, um, they could make that jump. And so I, I may, maybe it's a 2023 thing for me, but I'm not seeing it in 2022. We know he's going to see it in 2022, Russell Wilson. FanDuel <laughs> has Denver as the fifth best odds right now. In the they AFC? Have, no, in, for the Super Bowl. They have the Bills I at 7-1, no. Chiefs plus 850, Packers 10-1, to Rams 12-1. to Broncos 12 to 1, Niners 13 to 1, Dallas 14 to 1, and then we go into the 20 to 1s with a whole bunch of teams. Niners 13 to 1, I think I would just flag that because I still think Brady, there's a chance he comes back and he's their quarterback. And I also think they're going to get something for Garoppolo too in a trade. I also think that there's a chance that if they have Trey Lance, they're still, they're going to be better than the Broncos. Wow, you were shorting the Broncos. This I think really... they're fine. I think they're like like a six seed, and they're like a wild card team. I'm more on your side from this respect. I don't know what Wilson is anymore. As like, I don't think he's a superstar QB anymore. But could he be with those receivers? I also really like Javante Williams. I was going nuts last year because I had him on every fantasy team, and I just felt like they didn't use him properly. I didn't think they rode him the way they should have. And I think that offense, if Wilson is back, if your finger excuse is a real thing. If he starts scampering around a little bit, change the scenery, new, it's basically like a second wife thing. I could see where where their offense is really good. No, it's just like, I I can too, but I just don't, first of all, Nathaniel Hackett, I think is a, is a good coach, but I don't think he's, he's a great coach, but I also, I I don't know how, I think we're on the same page about Wilson not being the guy he was. And the only way you can justify having the same odds, the team that just won the Super Bowl, having a better odds than the NFC, runner-up last year in the Niners, significantly better odds than the AFC, defending AFC champion Bengals, who have a yeah. ton of cap space. 
Right. The Chargers are at plus 2,500. They have the most cap space in the league going in today before the Mike Williams extension. The Ravens are at plus 2,000. I think that this is just a completely, I think this is a, this plus 1,200 thing for the Broncos is completely out of whack. I agree with that. I, my hesitate, I just like the Broncos the last couple of years. So we'll see. Sometimes the teams that go from the, we had the worst quarterback situation possible to, oh, now we have a competent guy. Like that really can be <laughs> worth something. But so much depends on the free agency draft. When, uh, when we come back, we're going to go through a couple storylines, including some of these franchise tag things. Cause I know you've been monitoring that. So let's take a quick break. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, coming back, we forgot to mention how funny it was that they dropped the uh, Wilson trade bomb right after Rodgers thought he was going to get his whole day of Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay contract extension. Yep. Then it was, what, 20 minutes, and he was blown off the pages. You, you forgot the David Stern-esque, let's get Calvin Ridley out of the headlines move there as well. Oh, you think the league asks like, "Hey, can you can you guys can you guys <laughs> if do you have, us a if favor? you guys have any moves, just speed it up, just speed it <laughs> we, up." That's all we we're heard. Saying. Rivers about this Russell Wilson thing. Uh, hey, just if you could could go. I thought the Rogers getting blown off the blown off Twitter, social media first. Well, then he said the first the segment of every TV show. Yeah, then he tried to grab the headlines back with, "Hey, I haven't signed the contract yet," which nobody said by the way. They just said he agreed to terms. Um, that was. A lot of money for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Hundred and what fifty million guaranteed? Hundred and fifty-three. Uh fifty a year. Oof. There's some there's still a little bit of debate about what the actual structure of the contract is. Jay Glazer said it was f- over fifty million dollars a year. I'm gonna believe that. I can normally take that to the bank. And one fifty-three guaranteed is what Ian Rapport said. So that'll probably end up being what it looks like. Uh Devontae Adams is back on the franchise tag. And this was this was the inevitability. Like I don't there was no other option that made any sense. For Rogers, I think that part of the delay, like the player empowerment era, right, never has never really come to, to the NFL. But part of it and part of what what Rogers could exert was waiting until franchise uh, tag deadline day to make sure that everything was going in the right direction and then committing. It's it's sort of basically 
it's not the same thing as kind of holding them hostage, but it's more like, hey, I just want to make sure I like your moves before I opt in, which, by the way, is under contract. So it was a weird thing to begin with. But essentially, he just wasn't going to exert any pressure once he, he realized that, that everything was going in the right direction for him. Adams was coming back and he liked what they were going to do in March. So how do we explain the last 18 months of Aaron Rodgers, uh, whatever you, the hell you would call it? This was just all money yeah. grab the whole time? No, 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 no. It was a Jordan Love thing, first of all. And it's funny because for a while there, I was under the... the I'd started to think the Jordan Love pick in a weird way helped because it pissed him off. It led to multiple MVPs. It got him angry. Mm. And it got him a little refocused. There, there was a, a part of... There's a reason they took Jordan Love and it was that the Packers thought he was on a downward trajectory just in general it's an older quarterback he wasn't um he had had some some iffy years there and he is playing at the highest level of his career and he's playing at he's the best quarterback in football now and so that was me for a couple years and now i'm like oh wait actually they probably should just have t higgins like that'd be good that'd be good he was the next wide receiver off the board it'd be nice to have t higgins um so i've come around on that but i think i think it started with jordan love and then it started you know that that dovetails with not having picked a receiver, not, you know, the rumor on draft night was they love Justin Jefferson. They didn't trade it for Justin Jefferson. That would have changed the entire trajectory of the franchise. It's um, always funny and, how the rumors always tend to be the, oh, we were going to trade up for the guy who turned <laughs> out to be the best guy. <laughs> or, oh, we were going to take the Celtics love to do this, too. Oh, we love Tyler Hero. It's like, did you? Are we positive? <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So, so I think it started as that. And then it, it isn't the only the, the best way to repair a relationship in sports is just giving people guaranteed money happens over and over again. Oh, this guy's unhappy. Cool. Let's throw in some cash. So it ended up just being a sign of respect, a sign of a a renewed relationship that he got more money. I don't think it started out as a money thing. I started, I think it started out as a respect thing and all respect things eventually become money things. It may be a little bit of a pandemic thing too. People got weird during the pandemic. People got weird. So we just, people got weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a lot of time to think, a lot of time to think about what you want. A lot of time to think, a lot of time to overthink, honestly. Um, And the Packers, now they're stuck paying him $50 a year, and we just watched them put, what did he put, 10 10 points in the playoff game at home? I mean, he's still pretty good. Eh, I mean, 50 million million is the ceiling that was put on by Mahomes when he signed for, for 10 years, 500. I think that this will move quarterback salaries a little bit, just in the sense I think people thought no one was going to go over Mahomes. I think that's untrue. Like, I think people are going to start going, you know, Josh Allen was in the 40s. Um, the Lamar Jackson contract negotiation is getting a little weird, but that should end up in the 40s. Hopefully, Lock and Four reported that it was around 35, um, which I don't think he should sign for at this point. Um, but this is, listen, quarterbacks are always going to be overpaid, and I'd rather pay Aaron Rodgers than, than, Russell Wilson, who's gonna who's gonna probably want a new deal in the next eighteen months. Well, I'm glad. I I look forward Derek to Derek Carr. Derek Carr's up for a new deal. You want to pay him? I like Derek Carr at twenty for this year. Isn't that what he's getting? Yeah, a lot of yeah. guys. But that that's that, a pretty I mean, that's, nice price for this year. And then I'll figure it out. I'm excited I get to bet against Rodgers in the playoffs again next year because <sighs> that's been pretty lucrative. And I, honestly, it has. Aaron Rodgers is a playoff favorite. Last couple of years, it's it's been. It's been lucrative. I think that contract I, is going to make it really hard for them to put the right kind of team around him. And I'm not positive he cares. Okay. First of all, it's not that much more than he was already making, just in the grand scheme of things. He was made, he was the highest paid player in the NFL going into this before the Mahomes deal. Um, 50? And who, he was in the mid-high 30s before. 
It's not like he was a rookie. I don't remember six-time Super Bowl champ Tom Brady ever grabbing oh, $50 million out of the cap. Is it what? That was why it was such a magnanimous Super Bowl hero for us. Don't remember him and just he left. chewing up the cap. And then he had the exact same scenario as this, but he left. <laughs> it's true. It's probably the yeah. right move. Have you seen, have, did you see our team the next year? He left so, just in time. So let me ask, who in the NFC is better next year than the Packers? Because the Cowboys seem to, to be fading a little bit. They have Mike McCarthy as their coach, their cap situation. Even after two restructures, it seems to be restructuring um, to get Dalton Schultz's franchise tag under the cap, which is not I, a sentence. As you, you know, I don't. I would never throw the Cowboys in there. I, the, <laughs> the Niners, Niners me, and Rams. Niners and Rams. And I still think the Rams, just because they have put such an emphasis on short-term, 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 it was last year and this year. It was basically it was a two year window for them, right? And then, then the check's going to come. For I don't think there's nearly. The I don't think there's any depth to speak of in the NFC. I think there's so much depth in the AFC that it's unbelievable. And that if you're the fifth best team in the AFC right now, you'd be in the NFC Championship game. Um, well, I don't, what about the the Eagles though? With the three first round picks on top of everything else they have going, I think they have. To I mean, take maybe, it seriously. maybe, but I mean, first of all. The cynicism in the league around the Deshaun Watson thing right now has blown my mind. I was in Indy last week and I was talking to people and everyone said, oh, well, Watson can go here, Watson can go here. Like, according to the New York Times, this just came out, uh, the grand jury is, is convening on Friday, okay? And the idea that NFL teams are making plans before that or they're saying, there was an ESPN report today that they don't see it as a deterrent. Excuse me? Like, a what? A what? Like you have you, the grand jury's not on the NFL's league year timeline here, and so that that part of the rumor mill to me um, has has been frankly offensive. Um, but I I don't I don't know what else like who's who else is 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 available if you're the Eagles right now. Are you saying? To, I I don't know. I mean I I don't know what the Eagles could do. Are you just trying to get me to say Minshew's name? So I threw out Minshew for the Seahawks, but uh. You know, I, I guess they're going to go through. I said that on Green. I thought it was like a possible Minshew Mariota combo, a Pacific Northwest. Both well, I guys. think they have. They're going to roll with Gino and uh, roll with Gino and, and Drew Locke, right? Roll, right? And I, the I draft mean, pick. That sounds like a tanking season if they're doing to that. If they're doing that, I think that's what they have to do in Seattle. Yeah, I think Philly. Philly would be the wild card for me because of all the players they are, the rebuilding they've already done, plus the draft that they have coming and their ability to move around or just even if they just take all those picks. I think that's the wild card. Then um, Arizona, Tampa, mm. yeah, some okay. of the teams that made the playoffs last year, I'm, I'm thumbs down on. Especially Tampa. Tampa feels like Tampa. that's another team where the check came for the, but, for the giant feast. I totally agree. And the, all the cap nerds were basically saying that the Bucks were just pushing. Like, everybody keeps saying all these teams are all in. Like, the Bucks were the team that were that, that, that was all in. Right. Um, and it was a two-year run. Godwin got hurt. They had some bad luck last year with injuries. They it was worth it. It was worth it. They won it's a like title. It's like we talked about the, with the Lakers a couple days ago with Priscilla. Yeah. Like, you won a title. It was worth it. Everything worked title. out. Stop complaining. Same thing for the Rams. Yes. You won a title. Uh, any franchise tag stuff before we go that jumped out at you? Um, no, no JC Jackson not, looks like the no pass is going to let him go. I mean, listen, don't you trust Belichick and cornerbacks at this point? I liked having a number one cornerback. It's one of my weird sure. picadillos as a football fan. I like having the one guy who can maybe cover a receiver. 
I, everything made sense today. Dalton Schultz, maybe not, but Gasecki made sense. Uh, Jesse Bates made sense. Chris Godwin made, made sense. Mike Williams extension made sense. I, I think the Chargers have a real chance to make a couple moves and be an AFC contender this year. So everything kind of kind of made sense to me. They should hire, if the Chargers are going to make moves, somebody to help Brandon Staley. Kind of Just understand advanced metrics. Yeah. Yeah, maybe an I, advanced metrics He prides helper. himself on that. He prides um, himself on that. Hey, he needs to rethink, I think, some of his strategy with it. When he started not going for it and he got in his head like a guy at a blackjack table who had lost a couple hands, that's when it got bad. And I was like, no, no, Brandon, you're the guy who goes for it. You can't now punt on fourth and one. You've got to, you've committed to this strategy. So nothing else jumped out to you. Uh, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a, listen, the tight end with, with Schultz and Gasecki, the tight end, tag is real low. It's a $7 million difference between tight ends and wide receivers. Mm. Um, I think we might see... Gasecki was split out wide 85% of the time last year, which I believe was more than Cooper Cup was. I think we might see a, a replay of what Jimmy Graham went through seven years ago, which is that Mike Gasecki tried to say he's a wide receiver, and then they have another... I don't know if you guys remember this, but... Oh, this so, this at, will be at, such an exciting story to follow. No, at the... At the, uh, at the, the... When Jimmy Graham tried to prove he was a wide receiver, he basically had people... Like testify that he wasn't basically it wasn't it wasn't that good of a tight end really like right. it was kind of funny so it's it's gonna be I don't know how Gasecki proves he's not a I mean you know, in a fantasy football world I don't know Gasecki would prove he was a wide receiver. What's your number one storyline to watch before we go? Coming up now Jesus. that we're heading into the draft, um, is there any anything that we should be focused on? I mean, I I guess the Watson thing. I mean, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see the the quarterbacks after the combine. Because and 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 there's a handful of guys like Jordan Davis in this draft who I'm just fascinated to see where they go. Um, I think that you know PFF this morning had Malik Willis mock two to the Lions, and I'm just really curious where that goes because it's funny because I've been I've been laughing about this for months. But Ian Rapport had a story in November about the quarterbacks, and somebody was like, so one of the scouts was like, well, you know, there's no first round quarterbacks, so wait till the coaches get involved. That always happens this time of year, and so all it takes is Dan Campbell or somebody. For, to fall in love with one of these guys. David Tepper falls in love with Kenny Pickett. David Tepper is a pit booster. Stephen Ruiz just told me that. Um, Matt Rule recruited Kenny Pickett to Temple. Like this seems, that seems like there could be two top six, top seven quarterbacks. Wow. It always happens. They always tell us how, no, no, it's not a quarterback draft. And, and then, and then every Manuel. year, yeah, every year they start talking themselves into him. So F1, when does that show come out? The Netflix uh, Friday. season four. Do you want to reveal that you're a Formula One fan now? I am. I watched the first two seasons. I loved it. I knew I was going to love it. I was never like, no, no, you guys are wrong. It was just like, I just want to be in the right place when I dive into this. It was everything everybody said. I'm into it. I'm excited for this season. I'm going to be kind of following it. Plus, there's no baseball. I, I have more room. <laughs> what were you going to do? You I, watch baseball? Well, that's, those three hours of Red Sox would always be on. Now it's like, I, I need more stuff. I need more stuff to be on. Who who were you impressed by? Who won the show for you? All right. So I'm two seasons in. I did like Verstappen. Now I know he won mm. last year, so it feels mm. a little cheating, but I did like that. He had the 33 car. Obviously I'm going to oh, gravitate toward that. I liked his demeanor. I liked it. He got a little testy. He shoved the driver in one yeah. of the episodes, which I really appreciate. He's a lunatic. Yeah. I like that. So his, I, his I don't competitiveness know that, is that a is cool actually, pick or no? It's not a cool pick, but yeah, his figured. competitiveness is a detriment to like some of the races, and that actually is cool. Like he he, so, he pushes the 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 edge too much, which is I also a type of cool. 
I know, look, it's a reality show that manipulated me, but the the guy who got brought in by Red Bull mid-season, whose mom was in jail for six years, I was in that whole Alban? story. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to root for this guy. Um, that <laughs> was some a good tough one. news about that. Okay. And then Gasly, who got demoted yeah. and then succeeded near the end. So that, that, that pulled my heartstrings. I also loved Lewis Hamilton refusing to participate the first season. And then he's like the first face you see in the second yeah. season because he clearly realized, oh my God, I screwed up. It's too, it's too much of a chalk pick to say you like Ricardo though, right? Like that because they steered the whole well, he, season one around he me became, liking him. Yes. He became the star of the Netflix show in the first series because yeah. of what you're talking about. Ferrari and Mercedes didn't participate. Those were the two biggest cars in the sport that year. And and so they just said, we're just going to make this show about Daniel Ricardo. One of the things they're really good at is is ignoring things that they don't think are interesting. And so it's a reality said, show. You, they did it with yeah, Love you is said, Blind. You sent Rusillo and I a text the first week you started watching where you're just like, are they going to pretend Lewis Hamilton doesn't, doesn't exist? The answer was yes. They are going to pretend Lewis Hamilton doesn't exist. I mean, they did that with George Russell's drive two years ago. They're just like, oh, cool. We don't really have anything on this. So according to the Netflix viewer, this doesn't exist, which is fine. That's why it's perfect TV. There's only 10 episodes. They're telling a story. I'm okay with it. There's a subsection of Formula One fan who get really upset about the Netflix, uh, kind of the Netflix mentality of some fans. I'm good with it. It's brought tons of American fans. to. There's a reason that Austin is... Uh, somebody told me the other day, and someone with the Dolphins told, told me the other day when I was in, in Indy for the Combine, like the, the Formula One race in Miami is like Super Bowl ticket prices right now because everybody wow. wants to go to Miami to watch this. So who's your guy? Who's your, who's your favorite? So I've tried uh, to, to root for Haas because they're an American team. Um, and then they got bought out by the Russians. And now they've been unbought out by the Russians. So I'm not mm. really sure. That was as of yesterday. I'm not really sure where they stand. Um, I like Mercedes. Um, I'm, I'm still, I mean, maybe a McLaren situation. It's hard. I want to be the American fan. And the closest to that is Haas. I need an American driver. Yeah. So we, we've failed again as a country, it seems like. I, well, yeah. Um, we used to be, here's the thing. Is like, if you look at like, Ferrari in the 60s, we had Americans in those cars. There's no yeah. law that says we can't have great American drivers in Formula well, 1. Just the NASCAR maybe this, became popular. Maybe the resurgence will lead to some F1 yes. stuff. Yes. Alright, so you're going to be recapping season 4 yes. on which feed? What on the, on the F1 feed we have, I think. I can't remember. But I don't yeah, know. We'll, I think we'll yeah, be tweeting on TV stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then I'm going to start to get into it, so we'll, we'll have to we're going to pod. Keep yeah, we're keep talking about it. All right, Kevin Clark, yep. good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is supported by State Farm. 
you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, my friend Van Lathan is here. He is one of the hosts of the Ringerverse podcast. He's one of the hosts of Higher Learning. Right now, we're going to play a game called Do You Have a Take? I'm going to throw huh. some things at you. You can pass if you don't like the take. Interesting. You can just pass. You can say, no, I'm out. Or right. have a take and, and we'll go. Right. First one. Calvin Ridley suspended for a year for gambling. Do you have a take? Yes. It has nothing to do with Calvin Ridley. Okay, let's hear it. We have to stop the clown show that goes on on Twitter whenever something like this happens. Okay? We got to stop the clown show. All right, I got to be real. Calvin Ridley gets suspended, right? And we leap, some of us on Twitter, we leapt from a guy putting down 1500 bucks on a parlay, something that he should never have done, to him being fucking Shoeless Joe Jackson <laughs> in, like, a record amount of time. We all know the tweet. We saw it. Emmanuel Acho put a tweet out there of all of these plays with with uh, with Calvin Ridley, and then insinuated that he was throwing games. Look, here's the deal. I sometimes can be a victim of this. We all can be a victim of this. We gotta stop the fucking clown show. There is a gulf between a guy laying down a parlay getting suspended, which he deserved, by the way. Like, remember they suspended Webster's dad for doing that in 1963. The guy who played Webster's dad, Alex Karras. He got suspended in 1963 with for Paul doing Horning. that same thing. Yeah. With Paul Horning. They got, they, they, this is well documented that this is a sports no-no. Calvin really earned his year-long suspension. But before we start doing the whole thing for engagement where we dive into him and dive into his play and start like asserting that he's throwing games. Come on, guys. Like, we got to stop the fucking clown show. The clown show was some of the takes yesterday were pathetic. I just got to be real about it. And pathetic. Disappointed in some of you guys out there. When people jump into, uh, I'm sure, the logic of, well, was this why he disappeared for some of the games last year? Did he already have a gambling problem? It's like, maybe he just made some dumb bets. I thought the suspension was too long. I would have really? gone six games. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't think the NFL can have it both ways. In the 60s, when you mentioned about Webster's dad, Alex Karras, and Paul Hornick, they, there was real fear with, with game fixing that dated back to the college basketball scandals and a whole bunch of stuff, and, and even way, way back to the 1919 World Series because they could remember that. Um, and they never wanted to let that in, and they always went over the top with it. But now gambling is such a part of sports it's a part of the dialogue. 
I we have a partnership with FanDuel and the Ringer. We talk about odds. Everybody talks about odds. The announcers talk about odds. We see during games, it used to be the no-no for Al Michaels to even, he would have to do this roundabout insinuation of, you know, oh, some people out there are going to care of about course. that missed yeah. extra point. Now they'll right. just talk about it. So the dialogue's out there. And if you're telling me he wasn't playing and he bet $1,500, like, I guess I need more information. If you're telling me he bet on like the Bengals Arizona game on a FanDuel account and he bet $1,500 on a parlay and he lost, and now he can't play football for a year or get paid to play football for a year, I need more information. Because you, so you, I- can't, you can't tell me gambling's evil, but then have gambling everywhere in every facet of the product I'm watching. So I agree. It's, it's, it reminds me of the Shikari Richardson situation, right? Shikari Richardson, of course, you guys know, American track star, sixth fastest woman in the world, the 100 meter dash. She smokes weed, which everybody, you know what I mean? She smokes weed uh, and she gets popped for it. This is after the death of her mother. Yeah. The entire thing. She gets popped for it. Uh, she gets popped for smoking and she can't run in the Olympics. Now, I felt, away about that until we had Sonya Richards-Ross on Higher Learning. And Sonya Richards-Ross, who loves track, loves Shakari, loves all... She says, look, you know that you cannot use drugs in competition. It's a stupid rule, but it is a rule. You can't do that in competition. She really kind of fucked herself. And that kind of changed my mind on this. This has been collectively bargained. Players and the owners have agreed as far as this situation is. I, and from a common sense, practical perspective, I completely agree with you. And maybe in a future CBA, this will change. But for right now, it's something that you can't do. And it's, it's, it's stupid. And it oftentimes takes cases like this to illuminate how stupid some of these things are. And maybe this will be the sort of jumping off point to that. But for right now, the NFL is going to be very draconian about people betting on games. So either there's movement to uh, adjust things or don't bet on the games. But are they going to be draconian? Because we also have the Miami Dolphins owner who was alleged by Brian Flores, his old coach, that the owner offered him 100K per loss, which seems way worse than Calvin Ridley doing a $1,500 parlay. So my thing is like, if this was a six-game suspension, is the message sent the same way? I feel like probably, yeah. If you bet on the Falcons... That's different. And right. from what I've seen from the reporting, I've not seen that piece of it yet. Have you? I thought that it was suggested. I thought it was suggested that he did bet on games that the Falcons were in. Rachel said that. <laughs> so Rachel said on higher. Well, Lurie we need to that, know. Um, we need we need the facts on this. Right. 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 So I thought that was alleged. But it even if he did, right, it was there were still games he didn't play in because he wasn't there. He was he yeah. was taking a mental health leave. So he's still not. I mean, he might have he'd have inside information on the machinations of the team, right? He'd he'd be a better he'd be a sharp in, in in that term. But at the same time, he didn't have any ability to really influence the game unless he's going to call everybody and be like, "Look, I need y'all to win by more than three points." Well, it's like the, the it's like the gateway drug thing, right? Where you think right. like, "Well, you put that parlay down, and two weeks later you're way down, and now you're using your inside information to try to win the money back." Right. But I think right. it's a little specious, personally. Well, I mean, look. Once again, I was I was sort of uh, less agitated by that. I, I I would tend to agree, but I was less agitated by that than I was of the fact that now we're gonna have is Calvin Calvin Black Sox Ridley 
we're right. now going to go through this thing for like, come on, man. Like, let's not, <laughs> let's, 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 let's pump the brakes a little bit, man. <laughs> Can't the nuts. guy make a parlay? I want to buy a Ridley jersey. <laughs> I want to support Ridley. I just want to make a parlay. All right, next topic. Do I care about Kanye albums anymore? Ooh, I'm definitely not going to punt here. Uh, you have to care. You have to care. So I have to go. What did, what did he download Donda 2 on STEM? STEM player. No, you don't have to. This is a different question. Two questions. Two different yep. questions. Yeah. The question that you asked was, do you have to care about a Kanye album? Bill, we got to care because pop culture is our bread and butter. It's our job. We have to care. We don't have to indulge. I didn't, I'm not buying a STEM player. 200 bucks? 200 bucks? Like, look, man. There's a lot of things out there for $200 that Van can go do. Like, I can send a nosebleeds at a Laker game. Yeah. Like, 200, but 200 bucks. I'm not, I'm not buying. By the way, the Stim Player is a fantastic piece of technology if you I actually written, read, read up on it and stuff like that. So if you're an aspiring musician or you want to fuck around with beats or do whatever, the Stim Player is actually pretty awesome. I can't see myself buying a Stim Player just to download music. I'm not going to be making music on it or anything like that. But you can, like, you know what it does and shit? I don't. Like, you can, like, buy a stem player. You can break up Donda 2 and put different samples at different space, and, and you can, like, create on it. So it's actually a cool little piece of a little, little contraption, but I'm not going to buy it. We have to care because Kanye West might be the most consequential pop culture figure in the world right now. So when he, when he drops an album, we have to care. We just don't have to care emotionally or musically anymore because... It's not, it's not, it's not, nine, it's not 2009 anymore. Yeah, but is he the most influential pop culture person because of his behavior or because of the art he's creating? Because at this point, I feel like it's 98% the behavior and 2% the art. It no longer matters, Bill. That, 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 a that little bit. What do you mean? Do you really? You think it does? So I think all of those things. I think all of those things because of the Kanye West and the Kim Kardashian have become um, inseparable from one another. Like, it really doesn't matter why, it, it, in pop culture today, it really doesn't matter why you matter. It just matters that you matter. So, yeah, but think how sad it, that is, though. Bill, it's. I mean, this is like this is a sad. twenty what? twenty. This is a twenty first century. You know, we've we've just gone down this snowball to hell, and now we're here with like Kanye, who I don't know meant a lot to me and my family, and, uh -huh. and the music he made, and was always kind of worried about him, starting really from two thousand fifteen on. But now it's like this is fucking sad, to the point that I don't even want to listen to his new album now. You know what's crazy about this? There's a cultural aspect to this. Okay. Okay. Explain. So the cultural, the, so the cultural aspect to this, and I'm not, I don't presume to know anything about, you know, your family's life or, or anything like that. But like, I've seen this before. Like in my family, I've seen the 16 year old, 17, 18 year old kid uh, that's your cousin that goes out and scores 40 against Bel Air, and everybody's convinced that this motherfucker is next. He's the whole year he's killing. And then, for whatever reason, he's in your family, so you can't get away from him. But over time, this individual just unravels. Mm. Their life unravels socially, 
they might be they might have some legal problems and then you know by the time he's 25 26 27 years old you don't even give a fuck about basketball anymore or him in school anymore you just hope he's okay hey bring him over here let him sit down we're at the family reunion hey bro how you doing man Man, I could have been, ah, I forget about all of that, man. Remember when Coach LSU was calling? No, 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 I don't care about that. How is your state of mind? And yeah. I think that, like, the only difference between that person and now is Kanye West is more relevant pop culture. I mean, it's not just the music. Remember, it's the fashion, too. And that's got billion-dollar brands. He's still doing stuff. But I think that's, that is the the sort of relationship that a lot of people have with him. It's just like, yo, man. Yeah, all of the other shit is crazy. Is this motherfucker gonna be all right? Because we still love him for the music that he created before. That, is this is that's this how my kids are? That's how my yeah. kids feel about it. My kids were really upset that he did the Pete Davidson thing, the latest one with the video. I mean, yeah, like, we, what's we going on? Be, is he is he gonna kill Pete Davidson? Like they're I mean, asking me seriously. Like what 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 do we do if Kanye kills Pete Davidson? I'm like I don't know. Think about it. We should not be tolerating that shit. Think right. about that, Bill. We should not be tolerating that shit. We shouldn't. Like, we should not be tolerating his continued harassment of Pete Davidson and, like, all of that stuff. Like, this is all intolerable behavior, but nobody knows whether or not to do this okay or not. So, we yeah, know what's happened. I, I remember what? way back when, on when I was writing for page two, I wrote about the Tyson zone. When Mike Tyson became so bizarre that it got to the point where you would believe any story that was written about him, where it could be like, right. Mike Tyson got into a fight with a tiger last night. You'd be like, oh, that makes sense. Like right. any story. I feel like Kanye is there now. I, I would believe any Kanye story now. <laughs> yes, of course. Anything that would be texted to me, <laughs> I would believe. You could text me anything. You could be like, Kanye left in a UFO. He's gone. I'd be like, all right. You think he'll I was come back? I just about to say that. Like, I, like, if tomorrow it said Kanye was building a special spaceship to fly to, to Mars, leave. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about that right. makes sense. How much did it cost? <laughs> right. Uh, all right, next one. Do you have a take? Do you have a take on Russell Westbrook being upset about how the Laker fans are treating him? Yeah, I do. I I have a small one, too. You go. Um. So can I have two takes or do I have to break it down to no, one? No, you can you have two. You can absolutely have okay, two. Okay, so th these There's are no rules. These, these are so I have two takes. One is a human take, and then one is the hard real world fact take. The human take is, of course. Of course, man. Of course. Of course. Of course. I can't be, I get mad about what people say about me on Reddit. So obviously, if they had changed my last name to Westbrick, that's not gonna fly with me. Right. That's not going to fly. It's like he talked about how much his last name means. He talks about how his family's being harassed, which just think about what what a piece of shit you have to be to harass a man's wife and children in an arena because he can't stop turning the ball over. Think about that. Think about how fucked up a person you have to be. So all of that's true. So that's the human take. The second take is this is part of it and you very well fucking know it. Just just to be real, the, the second part of it is there is a little bit, there's a little bit of insincerity on Russell Westbrook's part in that type of situation. This is part of it. You damn well fucking know it. Russell Westbrook has had uh, a contentious relationship with the media 
for a very long time, which he wasn't the nicest, rosiest guy to the media. Um, I would light up anyone I saw harassing a man's wife at a game. But the Westbrook, all of these jokes on Twitter, these motherfuckers going to get their jokes off, and you know damn well they're going to get their jokes off. So part of that is a little bit, is a little bit like, come on, bro. Come on, man. I have both of your takes. I'm signing off on both. I'm adding a small one. Okay. You come to the Lakers. You're making $44 million a year. They trade all this stuff for you. And you stink for what people thought you were going to be, right? I mean, I was looking at his, there's win shares per 48, which I always kind of liked as a stat. He's like seventh lowest from the bottom of like all players for win shares 48. His three-point shooting, his turnovers, his defense, which is atrocious when you watch it, his attitude about the whole thing, where it's over and over again, it seems like he's blamed the Lakers for not putting him in the right position, refuses to come off the bench. And at some point, it just seems like this isn't working. Maybe you just go away for the rest of the year, you know? And and I, I know, like, Stephen A. talked on First Take today about how when Magic went at how bad the Westbrook trade was on NBA Countdown, that he knows he knows that hurt Russ. It's like, I, I'm pretty sure Russ didn't know what was being said in NBA Countdown. But if you can't handle the heat that comes with making $44 million a year and letting an entire fan base down, it's to me, like the, the yelling at the family, all that, that stuff's horrible. But it seems like he's surprised that he's getting a bad reception which is a different thing than how he's being treated because this has been the case the whole year. Don't you know who I am? I'm Russell Westbrook. I won the MVP in 2017. Don't you guys realize how good I am? And I don't think he realizes that he's just not that good anymore. You know, like he, he can still get to the basket and he can have a, a layup and with three guys and it's like, oh, that kind of looked like the old Russ. But he's such a liability in so many ways. And now that his confidence has been shot, he's and he's not good if he doesn't have the ball all the time. He's a liability. And I, I think that's the piece that he's not seeing. It's like, I haven't seen him say, man, they traded a lot to get me. I make $44 million this year and 47 next year. And I've sucked. And I got to do better. Have we heard him say that? I mean, I've heard him say things that, Seems like almost the inverse of that. I've heard him say, like, you know, I can turn the ball over if I want. You know, I can shoot. I can miss shots if I want. I've heard him kind of say that before. Um, look, this is a humbling moment that comes from most ath- most athletes, right? We've yes. seen other guys in this position. We've seen Allen Iverson in this position. We've seen, to a degree, Carmelo Anthony. Allen Iverson handled it terribly. He handled, handled it bad it in Detroit, and he ditched Memphis. Right. So we've seen other guys in this position. Sometimes guys can be bad and then still write their way out because of how good they were, a la Kobe Bryant, right? Kobe Bryant had been so good that when Kobe Bryant was no good anymore, we still deserve, he still deserved to leave uh, with his gun smoking. Um, now, I guess my thing is, what would people have him do? Like, I think he's in a no-win situa- no situation, even if when, when you're talking about the sitting out the rest of the season thing. Let's say Russell Westbrook shuts it down for the rest of the season. The Lakers, a fake injury, like back tightness. With, Fake injury, back tightness, right? Um, plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis, whatever, right? Let's say he does that. Let's say the Cor- Lakers go on the corneal irritation. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's say the Lakers. Let's say the Lakers go on the tear. 
Yeah. Looks Which, fucking terrible. Austin Reeves, yeah. uh, like, all of a sudden starts, like, he gets more minutes. I mean, he, they play not one-to-one there, but, like, you know, like, they start really balling. Looks fucking nuts then. Now the story gets the the story gets written like how bad was how, what a big albatross he was. There's no really way out of it. The reality is there is a there is a thing that exists when you suit up for the Yankees or when you play for the Yankees or the Lakers or when you go play for the Cowboys. And the real I've seen players remember Kevin Brown, big ass. Oh, Kevin so there's Brown. so many Yankees. Yeah, yeah. It's like so many guys go to New York and then they just fucking can't fucking handle it. A Rod barely kept his. his his, his chin above Jason water. Jason Giambi? Yeah. Jason Giambi, it happens to so many guys, and it'll happen to you in Los Angeles, too. And it, it was it was a bad trade, bad fit, but... So, I, point- I think that's the key take, because, you know, hey, look, people are awful. I didn't need the Russell Westbrook situation to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe people. It's like, people are fucking terrible. They're terrible to all public figures in all different ways. I'm not surprised that shitty things happen in that respect. The thing that's fascinating to me about the story is that it's a guy who used to be much better than he is now, not realizing that at all. That's the right. interesting part to me, you know? Well, and we've seen it. rarely do. It, yeah, they rarely do. Like, if you're a boxer, they got to punch your brains out of your head to get you out of the ring. They, they rarely do. Which is where he'll be next year on another team. You know, and it'll be like, oh, the Lakers, it didn't work. It'll be this person's fault, that person's fault. But I just think this is who he is as a basketball player. All right, um, next one. This is my take. Do you have a take on this? Superman, just just not as cool as Batman and Spider-Man anywhere. I don't know what the fuck happened. You're a Ringerverse host. What did Superman do? How did Superman, first 12, 13, 14 years of my life, the Superman easily was the coolest superhero. And now he's got to be looking at Batman, who's a fucking weirdo who hangs out in a cave with bats and he's tortured and he's got a dual identity and he's haunted by the death of his parents. Spider-Man, who's always like these dorky, skinny guys who, you know, they just have the ability to fucking throw some webs around. And Superman's like, I'm the fucking man. I'm the biggest, most powerful dude. Why aren't I? Why? Why did these other guys have the bigger movies? Why? why, what, What happened to me? Right. Right. So I'm going to repeat a take that I gave to Sean on the big picture. Okay. With Rob. With Rob. 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 I don't know if you've listened Mahoney? to Rob Pot. Rob Mahoney. He was he, on here he last gets, week. He's fucking he good. Gets in, he gets in and out so quick. Yeah. Boom. Great point. Boom. He's out. Yeah. And I'm I'm like, yo, are you going to say something else, motherfucker? Like, because I'm a drone on for 13 fucking minutes when I get it. With Rob's good. Um, but so I, I, I'm going to repeat a take. Superman is... A boy's hero, Batman and Spider-Man, they're man's heroes. Heroes for when you're a man. So how do we because, reinvent Spider-Man then? Or uh, Superman? How do we fix that? Stories. The reason, see, when you're a kid, you all you want are abilities. When you're an adult, all you want is for your heroes to overcome adversity. So like, when, like Superman can fly, heat vision, breath, all of that stuff. All of these different things, right? And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my God, this guy can do everything. When you get to an adult, you go, okay, well, why don't he just fucking fix everything? Then? Like, he can do everything. Mm. Just go knock it all out. Like, but Batman, Spider-Man, these motherfuckers got real problems. Spider-Man broke. Got girl problems. You know what I mean? Trying to skinny. make... Skinny. 
skinny. You know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, he's got a gambling problem, plays high-stakes poker when he's not shooting the movie. The whole, you, you, know, you know, like, you know, the whole now, these guys got issues. Batman, PTSD. Yeah. Like, you could, you could, you could, like, Bill, really, if you sneak up on Batman and you push him, you could potentially crack his ribs. Like, he's a human guy. So it's more about how these guys overcome, and that seems more heroic because of the odds against them. There are Superman arcs that are amazing. There is one, I'm not going to nerd out on you guys, one called All-Star Superman, which is essentially Superman throughout different times in his life coming to terms with his mortality and coming to terms with different parts of, of being Superman, what it means to be Superman. I was talking to somebody like, yo, don't fuck around with any of these other things. Just do that. Put Superman in a situation where there's something for him to lose. And not just Lois Lane, where, like, there's something for Superman to lose, where Superman is up against, like, really fucked up odds. Not just for us to see how he's going to get out of it. Because we know he's going to get out of it. We went to the movies to see him get out of it. But we want to feel for him. And it's just hard to feel for a god. And the older you get, the more having all of those powers, they seem like it's for kids. It seems like mm. baby powers. Like what? Like what could you? Well, I'm the fastest in the universe. I'm the fucking strongest in the universe. I'm like all, all of this. I'm in. I'm in. I'm unstoppable. I'm like just doesn't. It's not as cool as a motherfucker who has to drive a car and like rig shit in order to beat the bad guys. It's in, just less cool. So the key to Superman is either gear him toward little kids, or give him a. Uh, a kryptonite thing that's actually ironically kryptonite not kryptonite but like he just says terrible taste in women yeah just over and over bad. again that's right. he's just in bad relationships that he can't get out of and he keeps thinking he can salvage and maybe that's the way to bring him down the size that makes him more relatable maybe that's but, how they have to do it but you remember here's the only thing about that he's six foot four and he's handsome as shit so, so it's right. like it's 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 like really it's really tough, right? It's like it's, but, it's but really, he just likes he just likes crazy ladies. He can't help it. But see, he, he this, just, this is this he is likes why the black that crazy thing. look in their eye. This is why the black Superman thing works because mm. that like that'll give him some that'll give him something right there. That'll give him something to overcome. Superman <laughs> saves a whole bunch of people. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Go back to where you came from. He's so like, maybe Damn. that's the answer. Black Superman. Maybe that's where this ends. I think that's, so. That's where we have to go. Um, uh -huh. Do you have a take on the 2022 Oscars? You know what? I don't. Great. I don't. Pass. How about Chet yeah. Holmgren? Oh, I have takes on Chet Holmgren. Great. We're going to talk about him with Tate Frazier in a second. Give me your Chet Holmgren take. Yo, Chet Holmgren. So would you say, let me ask you a question first. Would you say that the demise of the American white basketball player is over. Has that come? Is that has that thing come back, or are we still in the doldrums of that? I think the foreigners, we, the foreigners saved it, but they're not American though. So we don't, you know, I'm talking about fucking Larry Bird here. We haven't had a Larry Bird since Larry Bird. We haven't had a guy French Lick Let's Indiana. Googly, Googlyata, Adam Morrison. Okay. Yeah, you might so be, you, know, you might be right. You know, we haven't had a guy like that. Remember. There was some talk that it might be fucking Kurt Heinrich at one point. Nash JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick had a great career. Nash, Nash was, was foreigner, though. He's Canadian. He's foreigner, right? But he was the closest thing to him. He's closest thing to him. He's Canadian. Chet Holmgren is the one. <laughs> Chet, <laughs> Chet Holmgren. This is, is it. 
the we're back. one. You got you guys are back, Bill. You guys don't have to settle for the it's bullshit of world. just owning the whole fucking team. You got like the, who, I'm sorry for you guys. You guys just have to settle for owning the team. You don't have to just settle for owning the team anymore. Chet and space on the floor. We can space the floor. Chet Holmgren is a man. And I think that it's going to obviously depend on how he can grow into his body. But I don't think he has to grow into his body as much as people think that he has to grow into his body in today's game. He's going to obviously have to get a little bigger. Right. And a, a, a little stronger. But I've been watching him since he was in high school. and I think that you know this. And Chet, he, he checks all the boxes and he's a dog. Like he's competitive. Yes. Like he is, is not he's not out there uh, flopping around. And that's the thing that separated the Euro guys. They come from fucking countries where they got to on the way to the basketball court. They got to watch out for a fucking dirty bomb. So when they come over here, they're like, you guys got it easy. You know, and they, they, those guys are actually dolls. That's like you Jokic. Know? Jokic yeah. knocked down one of the Morris brothers. Bruh, has he come back? I don't think <laughs> he's come he back, yet. back yet. Right. You know, I think he thought Jokic, I think he thought it was a game. Jokic is like, yeah. yo, do you know where I come from? Right. I used to drink vodka in my baby bottle. So I think that, I think that, <laughs> like, I think that Holmgren, I think Holmgren is the one that's going to change that. I'm really high on Chet Holmgren. Have been since he was in high school. I love this draft and last year's draft that came into the league. I, it's fucking stacked. Yeah. Jalen Green's not even one of the best five draft picks. At a, if you were redoing it, Jalen Green's been really good lately too in the Rockets. It's well, well, really, really well. loaded. Uh, do you care about F one? Like car racing? Yeah, you're not. Come you on, didn't Bill. get into the Netflix show. No. What, okay. what are you talking about? Yeah. All right. Do you care about last one, Russell Wilson on the Denver Broncos? Oh yeah, I do care. What's your prediction? We talked about it with Clark. I my take was that I thought last year and a half I didn't think he played very well. My take is this is not quite a Herschel Walker trade. It's not quite that. And I Russell Wilson was way better than Her Herschel Walker ever was. Although if you count Herschel Walker's USFL numbers, then Herschel Herschel Walker was way better the entire time yeah. than anyone remember. He needs a documentary. Is it would he be would, the most boring documentary ever, but he needs one more than anybody. I, I went and looked this up. The numbers aren't as like, the numbers are pretty fucking. That's a pretty fucking solid career. And if you count it the in a, the USFL numbers, his college really, is his college is incredible. Yeah, like he oh, honestly should have won college. the Heisman as a freshman. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. The college numbers are fucking nuts. Um, but so I would the reason why I say Herschel Walker trade is if the Hall, if what I've seen of the Hall, is correct. Yeah, you know the, the Broncos are going to be competitive right now. I mean, the, that division is stacked, so I like the fact that Russell Wilson is competitive enough to want to see Patrick Mahomes twice a year and then play Derek Carr and all of that stuff. Um, but if you look at that hall, that is potentially a franchise-changing hall. If you're talking about two firsts, two seconds, all if you draft right, starting out of that, tight end, yeah, a starting tight end. If you draft right out of that. You can stack a team and build an unbelievable squad to get and to get and to get rid of Russell Wilson at this point and get all of that back. I'm gonna be honest with you; they would have to be terrible at their job of being football talent evaluators not to find some way to to win that trade. I thought it was good for them too. It was time to move on. Yeah. We'll see what happens to him in Denver. My last thing for you: What do you have a take on? Ben Simmons, not my Ben Simmons, the other Ben Simmons. Yeah. 
he's an LSU guy. Yeah, I know it hurts, yeah. but kind of you have to sort claim of. him. No, you have to claim him. He played for LSU. Uh, I don't know what you're when they list it's... LSU people. It's like Shaq, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, aka Chris Jackson, yeah. going down the Stromile Swift. Stromile Swift. Ben Simmons yeah. is on there, yeah, and you, so. you have to own him. He's part of your legacy. Yeah, never went to class. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he went to LSU, but it's it's like LSU is Ben Simmons. It's it's like a weird thing to where it happened. He went there, but he kind of didn't go there. He never really wanted to be a Tiger. He was just passing the time. Uh, look, I don't know what to say. Like, I think if he ever gets on the court with those guys, then I, I really, I'm one of the, call me a, a fuckhead, a stupid person. I'm one of the guys who believes that if the vaccine mandate thing changes and Kyrie gets on the court with Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons with adding Seth Curry, uh, mm. I personally believe that they have a fucking dynamite team. We'll I, I just don't. I, I just don't see how anyone, anyone, anyone can make a prediction when Ben Simmons is involved. You just don't know what the fuck he's going to do. He shot thirty four percent from the free throw line in the playoffs last year in twelve games. <laughs> he missed two thirds of his free throws. You just need him to play defense and start the break, bro. Play defense, take the ball off the rim, start your break, get it to your guys. He shouldn't even be going to the line. <laughs> I would hack a I would hack a Ben him. He's coming in, we're fouling him. Put that dude in the line. Let's try to get him out. All right, Van Lathan, you and I are on the rewatchables next week. We're doing a major movie. I don't want to spoil it, but it's yes. it's a major famous movie that we're doing for next Monday. So I will see you then. Good to see you as always. Listen to Higher Learning. Listen to the Ringerverse. Peace. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned, slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. All right, Tate Frazier is here. He is uh, Ringer employee number one. He was the first producer of the Bill Simmons podcast. He worked with us for a couple of years. He's now doing the Titus and Tate podcast for Fox, as well as a whole bunch of other things. And most importantly, the number one Coach K anti-fan that yes. I know. And this is Coach <laughs> K month, his last home game, which of course he lost, a new book yes. coming out. And uh, I just know you're in your glory, Tate Frazier. Yeah, uh, Bill, it's so glad, you know, I'm so happy to be back here. Uh, you obviously were the first person that said, uh, hey, this Tate Frazier kid, he, he's got something. I don't know what he's got, but he's got something. And uh, a lot of people looked at you like you were insane. They're like, I don't see it. I don't know what's going on. But uh, first and foremost, I have to thank you uh, for sticking your neck out for me. And uh, we had some of the, the most fun times of my career. I learned so much. And uh, to be back on this side of things and to have Kyle here who, you know, took the seat of the, as the producer, uh, it feels like a reunion. And uh, I'm so happy to be back, especially when we talk about Coach K. 
Yeah, it feels like a reunion. <laughs> a lot of the time, as we got to know each other, because we were spending a lot of time together, you're, yeah. you're from North Carolina, you're a huge Hoops fan, huge college Hoops fan. And I immediately uh, gravitated to your dislike of Coach K. Hey, you, <laughs> you felt more strongly about your feelings against Coach K than anyone in my life about anything. <laughs> you were able to twist things around. People say, like, I'm a homer and I'm against yeah. like, the Lakers, I'm against <laughs> New York teams, I'm against LeBron, whoever. Yeah. You're actually like a legitimate anti-Coach K homer. Yeah. Uh, Curry Kirkpatrick uh, wrote a great article way back in the day about Michael Jordan, one of my favorite pieces, and it's named The Unlikeliest Homeboy. I think I'm the likeliest homeboy. You know what I mean? I, I love where I'm from. I, I love that I went to North Carolina. Uh, as you know, I, I would argue that North Carolina is the basketball state, which, you know, goes into the the homer part of, uh, you know, kind of kind of all that. But I know Coach K, who he really is and not who he wants the world to perceive him to be. <laughs> Right. So I think that that's what I feel like uh, my place was to come out and say, hey, wait a second here. It's not necessarily all rosy. Uh, it's it's a little bit dark. And, you know, that's hell and that's Satan over there in Durham. So I asked you <laughs> to read the Coach K book, which I'm, yeah. I'm, I know you were probably going to read it anyway. There was some good stuff that came out of it. I just want to go through some of it. Yeah, please. Uh, number one, my favorite, just like the tidbits and the stuff that floated out was the his Relationship with Bobby Knight just falls apart. His mentor, by the yeah. end of it, Bobby Knight is like basically just being completely rude to him at retirement ceremonies. And uh, and it, it dives into a lot of detail about why this happened. There's probably a little jealousy on Coach Knight's part. Absolutely. He, is that the his, his protege kind of becomes bigger than he did, which I get. But my favorite piece of all of this was how mad Knight was that Coach K coached the Olympic team more than once. And yeah. I know that was in your wheelhouse more than anybody. <laughs> like, he's like, you, you do this once and you hand it off. Like, what is this guy doing? He coached it three times. You must have loved this. Well, the, you know, as we talk about with all of these great coaches that have coached, you know, Team USA, whether it's like a Chuck Daly or Bobby Knight in 1984, you know, it was or Dean Smith, obviously, in 76. All those coaches, they looked at it as an honor. It was prestigious, but they also knew that hey, I'm not bigger than USA basketball. I, I pass the baton to the next person. And I think one similarity that I will give Coach K uh, that is similar to Michael Jordan is that he never wanted to pass the baton. You know what I mean? In any sense. Like Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe's like copying how he's playing. He's like, I refuse to, to pass the baton. LeBron's ranked 23. He's like, I will not pass the baton. Coach K is very similar in that sense. And uh, Bobby Knight called him out on that. And obviously, Coach K is the king of the mountain. No one calls him out anymore. And it's soon as right. the guy, who, the one guy that actually can call him out, he's like, okay, cut him off forever. I would rather have the people around me that are my yes men and, and that be what it is. And the funny thing, Bill, I, I learned this uh, when I was doing the five-star thing, Jerry Colangelo, he told me the story of how Coach K became the USA coach. You know who yep. got him the job? Dean Smith. Really? Yeah. So they, they had a meeting of all the basketball minds, right? They all come in Chicago. Michael's there. Dean Smith, they're all these guys. And uh, the, the argument was, who's going to take over after Larry Brown? You know, USA basketball, we got to get back. This is the redeem team moment. And uh, Popovich was the one answer for the pro coach and the college coach was Coach K. And uh, Dean Smith was, you know, kind of the arbiter there and told Jerry that he thought uh, Coach K was the perfect guy for it. So he got the job because of Dean Smith. And then he hoarded the job for three separate terms. So 
Unbelievable. That just says enough. Yeah. De- Dean Smith was probably having a Marlboro Red outside the building, and he had the idea, and then came to regret it 12 years later. Yeah, he's like, big mistake. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I never thought about it, and it always bothered me that Coach K just had a stranglehold of the job. But then yeah. to hear Bob Knight just call him out, it was fascinating, because I got the book, I skimmed through it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I didn't care about, about how he met his wife, and <laughs> you know what it was like when he took over West Point. I wanted the juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, the Bob Knight thing was fascinating, and, I, and it did seem like it was a lot of tiny slights. Now, we should mention Bob Knight, not the easiest guy to get along with. No, not at all. I mean, he is the definition of what we would call like the classic archetype of a coach that's an asshole, right? I mean, he right. he he is the one who invented that, that everyone else is copying. And the fascinating part to me about Kay is that over the years, he kind of mimicked a different master, if that makes sense. So like originally it was Coach Knight. He was Coach Knight 2.0. And then he fell in love with what Dean was doing. So then he became like Dean Smith 2.0 and maybe Jimmy V and kind of Dean mixed into one. And then around 2011, he became Coach Cal. Like he was mimicking the one and done era. So he's had so many different iterations of Coach K. That's why when people talk about him, I think that you could hear a different version based on the experience. Like the the, the young, my cousins, right? My young cousins, they think of Coach K as like, He's cool. He gets all the NBA players. You know, right. I mean, that's that's a different version from like me when I grew up, where it was like Lee Melchione and you know a Greg Paulus and all these guys, JJ Redick. I mean, that was what Duke basketball was, and it's flipped over and it's changed so much. And I think that's the one thing that fascinates me about Kay is that he has been malleable throughout his career. Even though he's been a constant, he's been changing how he approaches it the entire time. And this book kind of shows you that he's not an innovative guy, right? Like, I I, I don't think, like, Dean Smith's an innovator, uh, you know, in the game of basketball. I think Coach K was, was more of a guy that I keep things the way that they are. I'm very, you know, to the point, I'm very meticulous. I have a game plan, but I'm not trying to push this forward. I'm trying to preserve <laughs> as much right. as I can. Yeah. So, yeah, he was, he was happy to change except his hair color, which he somehow, <laughs> somehow stayed pitch black for, I think it's entire... the tar in North Carolina. He just puts tar <laughs> in his hair. <laughs> well, with, with the night stuff, um, I, I get it from night side. Because when you have, like, he has this guy that he put a lot of time in and it could just be yeah. like, he calls him one time and Coach K forgets to call him back and Knight just flies off the handle. One of the things I never got about Coach K, and you and I bonded over this as we got to know each other, was Coach K in the two, especially in the 2000s, did this whole holier than now approach to college <laughs> basketball. Yes. Like, I would never do the one and done thing. I would never <laughs> dabble in those dirty waters. I'm about Very raising Bob kids. Knight. Very Bob yeah. Knight of him. Yeah. I'm, I'm raising kids. I'm, ra- I'm raising graduates. And then something snapped. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he was like, one and done, here I come. Yeah. And that's what he did the last decade, which the book goes into a little bit. In my opinion, not enough. Yeah. Well, he also, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, you gave me the assignment to, to read this book. I would say that I took a page out of LeBron's book with this book. I uh, I, <laughs> I was on I was on page one and I was like, it was becoming vomitous. Uh, I was like, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how much I can read of this, but I kind of did what you did. I was finding the parts where I'd pop in and say, this is, you know, an interesting moment. This is an interesting wrinkle. I wanted to find this about Kay. But the fact that he didn't get interviewed for this book also, in my opinion, makes it feel a little bit removed because it's all these people talking about the Wizard of Oz, 
but we've never been behind the curtain. You know what I mean? And I think what everybody really wants to know about Duke and Duke basketball and the allure of K is what's behind the curtain, you know? And if you go to Duke practice, Bill, he puts curtains up so you can't look behind them. So it, it's quite literally what is happening behind that curtain with Coach K. And I still feel like I don't have all those answers, which I want to have. Well, especially when did he have that blue chips Nick Dalty moment where he's just <laughs> like, I have to do this now. It I was Harrison I, Barnes. It was Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes was the number one recruit in the country. And uh, and Coach K, he was going to Skype. This is like, I think this to me is like uh, the mark of the digital era, the change. Harrison Barnes was supposed to Skype in to his you know new team. And Coach K is in his office. He's got Skype up. He's ready. He's ready to go. And uh, Harrison Skypes into Roy Williams. And Roy Williams pops up on the screen. And as the myth goes, you know, Coach K threw a chair. Uh, he, he was very, very tipped about Harrison doing that. Um, and then I, I think that was the, uh, the watershed moment where coach K said never again. You know what I mean? I, if I can't get the Duke kids to come to Duke, I'm going to play the real game of college basketball. And, uh, and the rest was history. Kyrie Irving, come on down. Right. 10 games of Kyrie. <laughs> That's the thing. At that point, he's going to recruit anybody possible. The, yeah. the thing with him though, you think about like, uh, like a big part of the book was, how he has these relationships with people and how he keeps them. And he's, he's watering the relationships like plants where you read it and you're like, you start feeling bad about yourself and the relationships you have. We're like, Oh, I hate those people who make make all of us normal people look bad. He's just checking in, showing up at hospital beds, writing letters. (laughs) And I think that's why it was probably hard for them to find enough people to do the book. But then you read the stuff like, all right, he's going to, who's going to be his successor. Hmm. And it ends, he wants John Shire, but Duke wants Tommy Amaker, who's this guy Coach K is allegedly championed. And he kind of sides toward Shire. And then Amaker yeah. finds out, he kind of shanked Tommy Amaker. I mean, let's be honest. It felt like yeah. a shanking. Yeah, it felt like, uh, you know, it, it was succession, right? I mean, Coach K is Logan Roy. I mean, at the end of the day, and I'm not sure that he's done yet, Bill. Honestly, losing that game in Cameron, that cannot be his last game in Cameron. I don't know what he's going to, he's going to figure out some way to coach one more ceremonial game in Cameron. So that's not the last <laughs> game. Because if it's the last game, we have that forever. You know what I mean? As Carolina fans, we just continue. Anytime Duke says anything about K, it's like, yeah, but. Whew, that last game, that was something, right? You know what I mean? Well, then he, the overtime where we didn't even get to see the start of it. And I, it was just, it couldn't have worked out better if you don't like Duke. It was a Carolina win from the start. And uh, I want to thank Kansas for that. You know, Kansas and Carolina, we've had, uh, uh, you know, quite a past. You know, Dean Smith comes from there. Roy Williams goes there and then leaves and goes to Carolina. But I really think we owed them one on that day. The basketball gods were like, we're going to go to overtime. We're going to make K go to double box. And poor ESPN, you know this. I mean, they were having, they were frantic. Uh, they didn't know what because <laughs> K is going to, you know, I don't know what he's going to do. And whoever told K about the double box, I feel bad for that PA because they did not have a good day. <laughs> so you think, yeah, that, I mean, he must have been Curious. so mad. Yeah. I, spe- I thought it was risky to have the game right before that. Like, why not just have the hour long pregame show before <laughs> the Duke game so that you're covered for any sort of overtime scenario. But he must have been so mad. I was reading this stuff. I just don't get it. I'll be honest. Like I, I've, I've been looking at <laughs> Belichick in my life for, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah. I wouldn't like if the tickets for Belichick's final game were rivaling the Super Bowl, I, w- I really wouldn't care if I was there to watch some coach stand on the sidelines. Like, oh, it's our last time with Kay. It's the last time we get to see him hold a clipboard. Like, what are you people doing? 
What are you doing? And it, it, to me, uh, I've been trying to find the analogy of that event, and it feels very much like the Titanic. You know what I mean? Where it's like all of these elites are like are like going, and they're going to have this amazing time. You know what I mean? And <laughs> nothing can go wrong. You know what I mean? And the the hubris of Coach K to not even factor in the idea that they could lose this game, right? I mean, to to agree to the programming to say I'm going to do a pregame, I'm going to do a postgame, like all this is agreed upon. And you mentioned Belichick. I don't see a world in Maybe I don't know Bill Belichick well enough, but I don't see any world in which he would want these bright lights on him. You know, like Bill Belichick would never want to yeah. make it about him. That is the opposite of of his ethos and what he's always put out. It's about the team. It, you know, every everybody has their role. He's not going to make it about himself. But Kay is the perfect person to make it about himself. And he wanted it to be about himself. That was the best part. And then all the Duke fans now are coming at me and they're like, why do you keep talking about Kay? Why don't you talk about your own team? You you talked about Kay. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Kay. Yeah, you're paying fifty five hundred hours to go watch him sit in a bench for two uh, hours. I, yeah, it was I think, priceless. Listen, I know all the reasons you don't like Coach K, and <laughs> I know some of the like I don't usually like in general. I'm mm-hmm. not saying this is rational. I'm not saying it's right. But the college coaches who stay for a long time, and at some point, I just feel like go to the pros. That's where all the best players <laughs> are. Like that's. Like the yeah. Dean Smith era is the last era of the I stayed in college my whole career. Yeah. Coach K dallied with the pros. That was another thing with him. There's a lot of dallying. Yeah, they, a lot they, of like lo- rub my lo- shoulders. Yeah, the Lakers. He loves that 04 Lakers. Like, you know, they they thought about hire Mitch Kupchak called him to hire him, but he never mentions the fact that Kupchak called Roy Williams first and offered them the job, and Roy said no. There was a Celtics piece too in the Boston Globe about one of the Celtics owners, how he was lobbying for him in 04 for Coach K to come. <laughs> then there was another time, I think, in the early 90s where he was going to come to the Celtics. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so he would always, like, be courted. And this was the guy who's like, oh, Duke, Duke, I love Duke. I love Duke so much. But anytime somebody winked at him in a bar, like, he was ready to, you know, go down the contract path with them. Yeah, and uh, and had no problem leaking the story. You know, a lot of these things, right? You know this, Bill. Like, if someone calls and interviews you, if you want to keep it, in-house and not have it get out to the public there there that happens a lot you know someone checks in is this guy you know is he available right. yada, yada, yada. but you leaked this you wanted it to be known that the lakers offered you the job because you wanted the perception whatever you want the clout from the idea that the lakers want to hire you so very so would you have, would you have liked him more if he became let's just say he's the celtic coach in 1993 he leaves duke yeah would you have still held the Duke thing against him and and been able to work up as much consistent animosity or no? No, I don't think so. I, I really, yeah. I, I think Coach K separate of Duke to me, uh, I mean, he's probably a really, like, I think he he probably means really well. And, you know, I, I did this five-star doc and had to interview Coach K. You yeah. Know, we were on a Zoom face-to-face. He was very nice to me. You inter- I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. How did you? So he obviously <laughs> didn't Google you and the name Coach K. No, he he said he said that he he had known of my work uh, is what he said. Oh, um, so I think uh, like he's kind of like the evil Santa Claus. He has a list and he's checking it twice. And I'm definitely on the naughty list. But he, uh, I I don't know. I I think he's sadistic enough to enjoy what I do. You know what I mean? And and, and the rivalry. Like I view it more of like uh, at the end of the day, there's this respect for we have this great rivalry, but I have no shame in calling out Coach K for what he is in my viewpoint. But I also have the respect of he's an amazing coach. I pulled for him with Team USA, obviously. I mean, it, it made me a little sick 
uh, to do that. But I didn't I really like it that it. much either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got over it. I got over it. So, I mean, I've had my moments where I gave Kay his due, right? But I'm not going to give him, uh, you know, his flowers, as the kids would say. I'm not going to continue to do that in this farewell tour. And Carolina didn't need to do that, even though they keep complaining about them not doing that. So, But at the same time, that's such a Coach K move to do the interview <laughs> with you knowing you don't like him. Yeah, like it's course. like a weird, weird power play by Kay. <laughs> it was trying very, to flip it on you. And I kept waiting for him to like, you know, say something that was going to, he did tell me to wrap it up. Uh, you know, he was pretty stern at the end. He was like, he was like, okay, wrap it up. I got to go to the K Academy. Um, and funny enough, remember that day where, uh, the, the K Academy got shut down because there was like that virus that went around in the water fountain. It yeah. was the day that I talked to him that that happened. That news story came out. So oh, he, wow. pro- he probably thought that I had something to do with it or, uh, you know, well, how do we know you something. didn't? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> so you survived the Coach K farewell tour, but we yes. are going into the uh, ACC tournament in March Madness Ooh. now. And you have to um, endure. Have to do more more long shots of Coach K in the sidelines, <laughs> more shots of his family in the stands. We just yeah. got to keep going. It's actually going to probably make me not watch the ACC tournament. It's, I'm just, it's, I'm kind of out. I, or yeah. if I watch it, it'll be on mute. I don't want to hear the announcers. I don't either. And, you know, every single other game, they throw the graphics up of Coach K. So even if you were watching, let's say you're watching the Big East tournament, uh, they're still going to show you graphics of Coach K or memories from Coach K. I just did a tour, uh, Bill, at Madison Square Garden, and they have 366 moments of every single day, including the leap year, of like, this happened at MSG. It's like Buffalo Bill did his Wild West show in 1887 on, what you know, March 3rd. Coach K has two of the 366 moments in MSG. What? Yeah, exactly. What were the moments? He won uh, his 903rd game at MSG, so most all-time, most wins all-time for a college coach. And then it was just, okay, that's cool. And then the second one was he won his 1,000th game there, uh, you know, so that was 1K. Pick a moment. You got to pick between (laughs) those two. That's what I said. You got to pick a moment. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, Do we have to worry about Duke winning the title this year or no? Yes, absolutely. I I think, uh, I I really hope Kentucky, I I think Kentucky's the team to do it. I really do. If there's any team, I'm pulling for, obviously, someone to stop Duke. Duke's going to get to the Elite Eight no matter what. I I don't see a world where they're not in the Elite Eight. And then from there, it's just fingers crossed and praying. Because as you know, Coach K wants to be better than John Wooden. And if he wins a title in his last year, that's exactly what John Wooden did, you know, in 1975. So Coach K can leave on top just like John Wooden. That's his plan. I can promise you I'm not going to root for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The Kentucky thing, though, like that's that would involve Coach Calipari yeah, over and over again, calling a good game in the last four minutes. Which I know, which is I just watched tough... him. I watched him like two weekends ago where they fell apart in the last two minutes. Yeah, and he and a... he was like maroon on the <laughs> sidelines. I'm like, oh, nothing changes in college basketball. It all stays the same. Yeah, I mean that's my fear. Kentucky's the team that I think can do it, but I'm scared they're going to have one of those games where they get tight in the end and it's all over and Duke wins. So, so Kentucky's plus eight hundred. What about yeah. Auburn? Disan Fandle. Auburn at fourteen to one. You you feel like they got the big guy, they got Jabari, the yeah, the guard who's kind of a little too involved is the one that worries me with them. Yeah, they have a problem, and uh, the problem is that the two guards on the team, Katie Johnson and uh, Wendell Green, who comes in and the, he comes off the bench, but he's ba- Jasper is their starting point guard, but Wendell Green kind of takes over, and you know whatever their crunch time lineup is, those two guards somehow have convinced themselves that they are the clutch guy. Like it's <laughs> tough. But this is the issue with college basketball. It's always yes. these guards who are never going to, 
you know, have like power. 15 year NBA careers who all of a sudden the last 90 seconds are the ones deciding the games. Yeah. And Jabari, I mean, if we were in the NBA, as, as you know, I mean, Jabari is going to probably bring the ball up at the end of the game, right. right? Just so he has the ball in his hands. There's no denial there. And that's what you hope Bruce Pearl does. But he has not changed that once. They have not figured that out in mm. all these tight games. So that's what worries me about Auburn. They have the best front court in the country. Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Those are two lottery picks, I think. But the guards might not be good enough, unfortunately. That's what scares any, me. Any long shots for you? Any Ooh. like 30 to oneers? You've been, you were good at those in the past, like a UCLA yeah. 30 to one, something like that. I, I mean, UCLA at 30 to one, it's good value. I really, I really like that team. And there's teams that are, that are bored with the regular season, in my opinion, like Illinois, Illinois is mm. bored with the regular season. So like, I don't know what their odds are, but I, I like the idea of that team uh, in the tournament. Illinois to 50 to one on FanDuel. Yeah. So I like that. I like Illinois. Um, you know, they're, there's some there's some SEC teams like in Arkansas you could talk me into, but a lot of these SEC SEC teams they're really good at home and really bad on the road. And obviously we're not playing these games at home, so it's hard to really value them or expect to see them play at that level, you know, in a neutral site. Well, you know me, I throw myself into March Madness. <laughs> I overreact to the top five lottery <laughs> picks for better yeah. or worse, and I root against Duke. And this is I love the it. last year. I don't know if I'm going to be able to root against like John Shire. What do I care? I don't yeah. really have a history of John Shire. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, someone was saying that the other day. Do you feel sad? And there is a little bit of a bittersweet part to it because to hate like this, I mean, there, there's no other, there's no <laughs> other hate like this. I mean, it, hey, it, what are you going to do? I know it's like it's good to have that enemy of the you know that that kind of exists out there. And Shire's not that guy. Shire's always been very nice to me. So I. uh I don't know. I got. I got to figure it out. I'm gonna have to reevaluate myself a little bit, Bill. I'm gonna have to become more objective. Uh, you know, become like an actual journalist. Maybe we'll see what happens. Though. I mean, you're in your late 20s now. There's, it might be time. It might be time to mature this. But I'll tell you this: yeah. I went to like four Laker games in the last couple mm. of weeks, and sitting there watching them lose to the Clippers by 40, I was so delighted <laughs> and out of my mind. It's like rooting against a coach, the coaches eventually retire. The uniforms yeah. never go away. Of course. So of course. You'll, you'll still have the Duke piece of it. Before we go, do you have a, who do you have one? Holmgren or um, Jabari or Paolo? I, uh, we, we kind of, we were texting about Jabari a, a couple months ago and uh, I, yeah, you I ran were, on him early. Yeah. If I were, you know, let's say I'm Troy Weaver with the Pistons. I'm taking Jabari Smith, you know, instead of Chet Holmgren, just thinking about Detroit, what the city represents, the team, the makeup, all that sort of stuff. And I think Jabari would be one of the best number two options, right? If you go and send him with Cade, he'd be an right. amazing fit there. So if I'm the number one pick and I'm the Pistons, I take Jabari Smith. But if I'm any other team, I take Chet Holmgren. I really do. I, I think he's so interesting. I think he he obviously, you know, we joke about how you everyone wants a two-way player, but the guy makes so much of a difference just with the shot selection around the rim, and he's so sneaky athletic, and he's got a good second jump, and uh, I mean, and he's a lot longer and is more of a specimen than you might even realize until you see him in real life, so... I think Chet's going to wow some people, and I think he'll end up going number one. If I, if, I go, read that in my head. Mike Schmitz wrote about him with Gavoni for ESPN this week, and they were talking about like the rap that he's too skinny, and they listed some other players who were skinny who filled out a little. I mean, the numbers, sometimes you just, like, when somebody's putting up numbers like that in college, sometimes you just have to go, all right, this translates at least somewhat. He's already a 40% three-point shooter. Yeah. He's already blocking four blocks a game. And he's a double-double. 
and he's tough. Like the stuff mm. I've seen, like he's not like Sean Bradley, where Sean Bradley, everyone was trying to dunk on him. Like from the moment he got in the NBA, everybody was like, oh my God, this guy, I'm dunking on him. <laughs> like Rudy Holmes, Gobert now. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rudy Gobert now. Holmgren's <laughs> got a little edge to him. I just, I've never seen somebody with that body play center and succeed before. So yeah. maybe he'll be the first, but I, I, I need to get over that hump mentally. I think Porzingis is the one that scares you. I mean, because you, your, your biggest concern is that there's a guy who could probably score, you know, 25,000 plus points in the NBA and Jabari Smith, if he's in the right situation, you know, and yeah. to pass up on that guy, kind of like what Kevin Durant was to pass up on that guy. And then you end up getting Chet who can't play. You learn he can't play the five. And now you have like a specialist that you drafted. Number one it's a stretch five. And then you got like lower body stuff and he hurts the yeah. knee and yeah. Whereas and then, Jabari's just yeah. like, worst case scenario, he's a better Richard Lewis. A hundred percent. And and I think he's such a good kid. Like I, I really like Jabari, everything I've seen from him. I think he has such an understanding. His dad played in the NBA. I think he knows how to fit into a culture. Like if you went to the Magic, I love that young core of the Magic. Not to say that they win a lot of games, but I just like how they mm. play. I think they're going to eventually figure it out. Uh, if you plug him in there or Detroit, like I said earlier, I just feel like he would be a great fit, like with those young guys and, uh, and he would buy in. The good thing about all three of those guys, they're super competitive, which is yeah. like the number one thing I look for as I get older and older. I'm just like, do you look competitive as I'm watching you on CBS on a Saturday? Do you look like you give a shit? Yeah. And all three of those guys do. All right, Tate, we got to go. Um, good luck. Good luck at, uh, at the Big East this week. Good luck rooting against Duke. Good to see you as always. I'm glad you're doing well. I know this was yeah. a highlight for uh, nephew Kyle. Um, yeah. And it was good to have you on. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Thanks, Bill. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Kevin and to Van and to Tate. Thanks to Kyle Creighton as always for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti and Dylan Berkey. Don't forget new rewatchables went up on Monday. Don't forget to check out the Prestige TV podcast as well. And I'll be back on this feed on Thursday. See you then. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.